Hi, it's Karen from See Me, Hear Me, Love Me. We're the podcast for parents with young children, and we know that life with kids is messy, but we're here to celebrate those messes, from spilled milk to emotions spilling out of little volcanoes. And you know what? We really believe in you. You got this, and you're not alone. I just want you to know a little something about your host. Karen Deerwester is an educator, author, and all-in cheerleader for kids being kids. Karen has been a corporate spokesperson as well as a reasonable and reliable voice for kids and parents in print and on TV, on NBC, MSNBC, NPR, Parents Magazine, and many more. Best of all, Karen leads the parent-child classes right here at Benator Congregation of Boca Raton, Florida. Get ready for some fun, a ton of encouragement, and maybe a little inspiration. Our topic for today is talking to children about death. It might feel like a very heavy topic and a very sad topic. If you can, choose a quiet time to listen. This topic is so much harder for the grown-ups than for the children. And if at all possible, you might like to think about some of these ideas long before you actually have to explain them to your children. I'm very grateful to the people sitting at the square table with me today because it's not easy to come here and have this conversation. At the table with me is Michelle Fleischer, Lisa Kovari, and Rabbi David Englander. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for having us. (sighs) Michelle, I'm going to ask you to go first. You had the most recent death in your family, and if you'll tell us about Emil's dad and how old your children were and a little bit about that experience. Sure. Um, So... My husband's father, my father-in-law, passed away uh, about two months ago. Uh, It was a pretty traumatizing thing to happen uh, for me and for my kids. It was sudden. Um, He was diagnosed uh, with uh, melanoma cancer, and from diagnosis to death, it was about 90 days. So it was quite shocking because he used to... He helped build our home just a couple weeks before. He was still doing construction before he was diagnosed. Um, he helped build my uh, brother-in-law's home. So he was a really strong man. It was it was definitely shocking. It was a big presence in the family. Huge presence. I've known my husband since I was 16. We were friends before we ever got together. We were friends for about eight years before we ever got together. So um, I've known him for more than half my life now. So... Um, it was very difficult. Uh, I couldn't figure out how to tell my children at first. I actually didn't tell them for two, the first two days after it happened. Because, and how old were Bennett and Mila? So Bennett's four. He turned four a month before he passed away, basically. Um, and my, not even a month, actually. And my daughter is two and a half, and they're very close to him. So grandpa in Russian is Dieda. So... I didn't know how to explain to them how Dieta died, and I asked the rabbi, I asked other people, you know, and the advice that I basically got was you just have to be honest. Don't use words like that person is gone or lost. Or sleeping. Or sleeping, that's a big one, because a a child will say, well, let's just wake them up, or let's go find them if they're lost. They don't understand. And so um, my son, Benek, is four and he goes to karate and at his studio they have a um, uh, an organization they work with with um, families that have someone who they've lost because of suicide 
and they actually tell you, you tell them that person no longer is breathing. They don't, like, they're so matter of fact that you have to be so matter of fact about it with the kids. You have to say, this person doesn't breathe anymore. They don't eat. You will not see them anymore. You're not going to see them. You're never going to see them again. You can only see them in pictures and in your mind. Right, and because you want it to be very tangible and specific. Yes. Let me introduce everybody else at the table, and then we'll come back to um, that actual process for Mm -hmm. each of your children. Lisa? Hi. Tell us about your dad. Um, Well, it was just... The anniversary was just my father's yard site. Um, It's been two years. And... um, How old were Sammy and Sydney? My son was also four, and Sydney was two, just turned two. Um, And it it was very sudden. I we didn't even have a diagnosis. It was my mom's birthday the day before Thanksgiving. That week, it was also. I mean, that was a huge. It's a huge week for us. That that year, um, Hanukkah also fell early, so we have my mom's birthday on the twenty fifth. David's birthday is the 29th, our anniversary is the 30th, and right in between there was the first night of Hanukkah and Thanksgiving. So my mom's birthday is the 25th, and um, but not dinner for my mom's birthday, my dad just didn't wake up. Um, so it was really sudden. Were the children there at that moment? No. At they the, weren't in the ho- They were at your parents' house at that moment. Oh, no, no, no. No. I'm, but there was no waiting to tell your children. No, I mean I didn't. I also did tell them. I don't think for the first day or two. I'm okay. not. I'm okay. not sure. I maybe the probably the second day. Definitely not the first day. And if it was the second day, it had to. Yeah, it had to have been the second day because the following day was Thanksgiving, and my dad obviously wasn't was going to be. Because I remember. I do remember that 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 the children were coming into their house. Right. Excited to see him. Yeah, yeah. And that was the hard part. Um, one of the well, many it was, yeah, it was, And, you know, um, let me just jump yeah, in. Sure. Because the, when we think about, like, when do you tell how fast, I think what, what I feel at this moment right now is those first couple of days, there's no such thing as time. I mean, it's just, I mean, there is no, there's no day. I mean, you're just, you just go into this place where everything is jumbled and overwhelming. wasn't the next day, I don't know that I probably would have even told you know, I, I, I still, I think, needed a few days to digest and, and, and process and, you know, collect my thoughts, yeah. I guess, on gonna, how to... I'm going to come sure. back and ask you if you do remember your words, but let me introduce Rabbi David Englander. Um, Rabbi has got three children, um, and I know he has big conversations with them, I think all through their lives. So he has this experience as a father, and of course he has this experience supporting these families, but so many others. Um, Rabbi, what, what do you want to throw in at this point? Well, thanks, thanks for this, first of all. Um, I, I had the uh, opportunity to um, serve as the rabbi for, um, for Michelle's father-in-law, for Emil's dad, uh, and uh, there's something that struck me about their family's uh, experience. Uh, and then, of course, we were with Lisa for uh, Lisa and David for, for Shiva uh, in her home. And there's, uh, but there's a specific memory of uh, specific memory of Shiva that I have that uh, uh, is um, something that stays with me. So I want to just talk for a moment about uh, about those two two aspects. Um, 
One is that um, I know that Michelle's oldest uh, son was um, present in um, her, his grandfather's home while he was very sick. And I had asked you uh, the specific question, you know, does he stay downstairs? Does he sometimes go upstairs to where your father-in-law was dying? And you said, you know, he, he does visit with him and I think crawls in bed with him even and is able to... It was actually my, my daughter, sorry, yeah. uh, but my, my daughter, she was like, ignorance is bliss. She would just lay next to him. She had no idea. Like, she'd just kiss him and watch a movie while he laid in bed. My son-in-law would... I mean, my son my, my son would... Um, he would say hi, but he knew something was up. He was a little, like, in and out. But he would sometimes go in and say hi, yeah, but... The, the point is that mo- most people today, statistically, in America die in hospitals. Mm-hmm. And they kind of get hidden away, and they're sequestered out of sight. Yeah. Children often are not allowed in hospitals, especially not in an, in an ICU setting. And so um, someone quite literally dying at home, going through the process of dying with their adult children going through that process with them uh, and having grandchildren around absorbing this in their own way uh, is something that we don't see very much anymore but is reminiscent of a time when everybody died at home uh, and people were around death more often. I don't believe it made it any easier but I do think that it demystified uh, the process to some extent. It was a part of life. We can intellectually understand that death is a part of life, that everything ends and everything living eventually dies. Um, and kids have that sense from an early age because they see bugs, they see slugs, they see pets, whatever it might be. Um, but that was an uncommon uh, experience. And uh, I would just reflect that I think uh, your family and uh, your kids also you know, benefited from having that opportunity to be a part of this uh, in a way that was... Uh, atypical for our uh, our era, if you will, and Lisa, your your shiva uh, in your home was um, really uh, an, ex- an extraordinary gathering, I thought, and it did exactly what shiva, I hope, is supposed to do, right? Which yeah. is to be able to say that um, we're working to accept that this is real. It's sudden and it's real and it's hard, uh, and there were certainly tears and there was some laughter too. Um, there were kids around. There was the noise of kids around, which sometimes people say, "Well, go go to the next room, leave them, leave them out of this." To which I say, "No, bring them, bring I them right them here. So we want them, we want them right here and, and very very close." And I remember the atmosphere of uh, of that um, you know of that uh, of that shiva house. And it's a it's a it's a gift I think that Jewish tradition gives to those who are, are willing to engage in that because it's really hard. We wanna we wanna own this ourselves. We wanna keep this to ourselves. We want this to be uh, somewhat personal and not shared. And our, our tradition helps us to not be alone. And um, through the dying process and certainly through uh, the the shiva gathering. Uh, we, uh, we get in that way to, to, not, uh, to not be alone. And we can try to come back to some of those, um, how do we talk to children specifically. But what I want to ask first, based on what Rabbi just said, is how, how, did you, what did you see in your children's experience? Was it scary for them? I think that adult emotions are <clears throat> scary to children, but if we explain them and we say, I'm so sad, we're hurting, then, then sometimes they can feel safe and secure even though everything is being disrupted around them. 
But I, but I think when you think of Mila climbing into the bed or you think of Bennett trying to understand or you see your children looking for someone and really trying to understand where did he go, where is he, that that, that process, I mean, I, I, I'm with Rabbi in the sense that if we can, if we knew that it wasn't hurting our children to experience the death and the sadness of someone that we love dearly and completely, then maybe we'd all be a little, we'd all go forward a little bit easier. And and their smiles and their, 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 they hold our future for us, so they help us to keep going in ways that we need from them. So did you see distress? Did you see, well, tell me about. Okay, well, when I told Bennett, he, the way he, pro- so he's four, and the way he processes things, he asks a lot of questions, actually. So he, um, he would say he's gone. I'm like, yeah, he doesn't come back. No. And every night for like last almost couple of months, almost every single night, he'll he'll ask when we go to bed and I'm putting him to bed. The hardest part is he'll sometimes say when sorry. It's okay. Sometimes he'll say uh, when Dieta's not sick anymore, everyone will be happy. Yeah, because you know, but we feel it too. You know when you pick up the phone and you want to call them? It's like there are those momentary lapses when it's like, yeah, I'm feeling it. I'm going through the grief. And it's going to stop and everything's going to go back the way it was. So, yeah, sometimes you'll say, Baba, which means Grandma, um, when Dieta's not sick anymore, he, uh, Baba will be happy because he'll be alive again. Yeah, yeah. So once in a while, he still doesn't get it, but now he's starting to get that he's not coming back. Yeah. Does he? Does Baba ever talk to him about that? We talk about it all the time. What We're does very Baba open. say about how sad she is? Um, she'll say, yes. He'll say, Baba, you're all alone. Mm-hmm. And she's like, yeah, I'm alone. Because she took our dog, Butters. So uh, he's back in her house now, but uh, for a while she's like, it's. Uh, she said, Baba's all alone. She doesn't want to be alone, so she has Butters to keep her company. And he's like, it makes you sad that you're all alone, doesn't it, Baba? Yeah, so yeah. we do we do talk about the emotions. There's no hiding it. There's no, we don't shield him from it, you know. Um, and while you're so sad that he hurts with you, sometimes I think we need the children to say it so clearly and so simply. I mean, it just diffuses to the simplest element, which is, my heart breaks for you. And and. I don't know. I just, I want them to be a part of this. I'll let you catch your breath for a second. Lisa, do you remember how your children felt? Well, along the lines of uh, what Rabbi Englander said, um, and I guess it's kind of like um, the... The, it was the hardest part, but the best part was because it was all these simchas. Um, I mean, we were having people come into town anyway. You know, we you know it was Thanksgiving, you know, and it's that time of year. We're, we're from New York, so everyone comes down anyway. So, um, there was a we had a lot of visitors and a lot of distractions, and um, you know, not to take away, um, but I I think the. The best part, I guess, about children um, and in this type of situation is because they are, as they should be, because they're kids, so emotionally immature, that having you know everybody else around and all the excitement of 
of, I mean, obviously they saw everyone crying and why is everyone but sad? But it makes it easier. But yeah, yeah there, you know, it's, yeah, I don't have mm-hmm. to tell you. And, and yeah. also I think more with a boy than a girl. My daughter was two. I don't think yeah. she would have, but a four-year-old boy could so easily go outside and play football with and yeah. and, and like well, that because they're in the yeah. moment right and they yeah. could and touch so, your face so, and feel your sadness right. so and then go and, oh bubbles let's that's go exactly back. Bubbles. what happens right. exactly with us still. so yeah. right yeah. so I, I think I mean so that's, that's, now you're two years yeah and 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 this the grief doesn't go away and no. the anniversary's here and do they ask and what do you say now ask as far as um. Interestingly, Did you celebrate the my, my, with you? my my son also is asks so many. I mean, he's like the cat. I don't have to tell. Even even at, right. He's I was gonna say even in, even in my, even as a baby, he asks so philosopher and and, and <laughs> rabbi in the making. Okay. Um, <laughs> so he also, but interestingly, this one time he didn't. He didn't like. I mean, he asked like the appropriate questions, and. We answered him, and I think, like, he got it. Like, he, he, you know, in another situation, like, for example, this past summer when we were we were in New York, we had friends who were also visiting, and they were, gonna go, they were going to the Freedom Tower tour, which I didn't want to go on anyway. But I more didn't go because I knew my son would be relentless with the questions, and I didn't even want to begin to try where I mean with another friend whose son was the same age and they his you know so every kid's different I knew my kid wouldn't have stopped at and it's scary so this particular during time he asked and he got answers and and I I think maybe because I I don't know I think maybe he understood like he understood and maybe he saw this you know how sad I was maybe he knew just not to ask more you know to delve in deeper and now do they still ask my son has always gotten it which is weird um he says things sometimes <clears throat> that and i can't even, uh, maybe i'll think of one later but it, it it my daughter obviously didn't understand it for for a while but she um, knows she has a grandfather oh of course i mean for and a he's lo- included in for a long time i mean when we first used to go to my mom's house you know at She's Even though she knew, she where's, was yeah, where's Pop Pop? And when my mom would come over, where's Pop Pop? And you know, and sometimes now, should even now at this point, she'll say to you know something like, when you know we see Pop Pop again, like she'll say, you know, when we see him again, because death isn't and, permanent. Right. Seven. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, she's four. And my son will say, you're never, you're not going to see him again. Yeah. He's he, and so matter of fact, like, and they're not. Just so matter of factly, my son is like, he's dead. You're not going to see him again. That's it. You know, and so that's and it. And kids explaining this to children to one another. I, so is, I was just going to say really that cool. that actually made things a lot easier for me. Having that my son was such a talker, so he, you know, and if he's obviously, I would say, you know, maybe a little nicer, Sammy, maybe a little <laughs> softer, you know. She doesn't quite understand, you know, not but. Um, he did a pretty good job, whereas it made it easier for me not to. It would have been harder the for me to burden, talk. And the whole burden shouldn't just be on your shoulders so, to understand it all, to explain and, it all. Yeah. And so I, and maybe hearing it from, you know, you're never gonna like. Cause I don't think I would have said it like that. You know, you're never gonna see him again. But my son, there's did. a simplicity and, uh, and a clarity yeah. to kids. Right, and, I said that know? to. Right, I mean, well, I mean, yeah. I, I would have too, but probably in a in a. Yeah. 
different way. And the yeah. grief counselors for children will all recommend that clarity and that tangible, oh. concrete Right, I mean, Facts, factual information. We, we were also very honest. Yeah. We didn't hide anything. Mm-hmm. We told him, you know, that he, he's dead, he's not coming back, things like that. But in situations like this, especially with children, um, I think less is more. So, you they know, will we, ask when they have more questions. Right, yeah, they will exactly. Ask. So, so yeah. let me open it to Rabbi, who has older children. Right. Um, if, that, if the questions and the understanding revisits itself, um, as they try to understand the meaning of life and death. Well, <clears throat> because of uh, everybody has their own individual family, you know, circumstances. Um, we've had you know sort of tragic young death in our family, a young mother, <clears throat> and um, I've had I've experienced you know, tragic death through um, a terrorist attack, you know, in uh, in Israel, and we've also experienced death, you know, after a long you know after long lives. And so my kids, because they were very young when their when their aunt passed away. Um, really, only one of them, I think, was old enough to even understand anything that was uh, going on in any any, uh, any substantive level. Um, that's been a, a topic of conversation all through their childhood. Uh, there's never been a you know a, a holiday, uh, a, a simcha, a, you know, a Jewish uh, you know happy event where there hasn't been a tinge of uh, or sometimes more than a tinge of, uh, of sadness missing. because someone uh, is uh, someone is missing. And I think they've had decent role modeling, not necessarily by me, uh, but certainly you know by uh, just about everyone in the family, trying to strike this balance between making sure that they know uh, that they're that they're safe or as safe as they, they can be, uh, and that uh, you know everyone's healthier, at least as healthy as we as we uh, as we have control uh, as we have control over, uh, and also that this loss is real and this loss is lasting and this loss still uh, still stings, um, and. It, it, it strikes me that perhaps, you know, growing up with that as part of their vocabulary, they've been able to become somewhat matter-of-fact about this. And uh, they'll, be, they'll be also very, uh, you know, very direct if it does come up. They know that it's likely that someone's going to cry at a happy occasion. They know that it's likely that uh, there's going to be some, uh, some mentioning uh, of, uh, of, past, uh, of past loss. And I won't say that they're, they're, they're used to it, but they, uh, they certainly uh, have their own uh, way to adjust to it. Um, you know, then on the other side of it, uh, they were blessed to have a great grandmother. lived uh, a long, you know, uh, uh, sometimes difficult, but but certainly a, a long life and duration. Who passed away only only last year, uh, and you know they had another another funeral, and uh, they they all thought, well, you know, this is this is what we do, you know, and they were all all just fine. And then uh, you know, one of my my children uh, decided that um, <coughs> that she wanted to uh, speak, that she would be able to speak, and she said, yeah, yeah I can, you know, I've sometimes talk to my school and talk to my class, and you know, I'm able to able to do that, and. Um, I'm not giving away, uh, you know, any 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 confidence here or anything. She wouldn't want uh, her uh, more broadly, and she wrote the most beautiful reflection on her relationship with a great grandma. And we talked about it. Was she okay to talk about it in public? And there'll be people that don't worry, but don't worry, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. She got up and she got through about a few lines, and then she broke down crying. And she sort of didn't understand what was happening. She and I could see what was what was what was going on. She's like, no, no, I know how to do this. I I, I speak to people. I, I can give a speech. I go to good school. Um, you know, I, I know I knew that this was going to happen. I know that great grandma's old, and she was connecting in that moment. Unfortunately, in front of other people, um, uh, she was connecting the uh, the reality of death with the sadness of death. And I think how that's old? a very Jewish response. How old was she at the time? She was uh, she was uh, thirteen at the time. Thirteen. So it's. Again, yeah. she was. It, I mean, that's so revealing that she wasn't young and she wasn't so mature. But it happens. And I love it. I mean, I love that you can share 
how hard it is and how it's always going to be hard. Yeah. Um, you said something else that I want to just throw out there that's not exactly on this topic, but I think that idea of will they feel safe? And I think inevitably, often when these experiences touch your homes, there is a question that comes up, and it's also a developmental question that I know happens at pre-K year, that four- and five-year-old, and I'm sure it happens many other times, and that is, are you going to die? Are my That's parents going up, yeah. to die? So that just yeah. came up recently um, because we all had colds about a month ago. So Bennett would say to me, well, Dieta died because he was sick. Aren't you sick, Mommy? Are you going to die? You know? So I had to really think about what I was going to say, and I told him, Bennett, we read books, right? And he said, yes. I said, well, there's the beginning, there's a middle, and an end. And Dieta was at the end of his book. He was at the end of his life. So life is like a book. There's a beginning, a middle, and an end. You're just at the beginning of your life. Because he would say, well, I'm sick, and I and I know the next question was, am I going to die? And I was like, no, buddy, you're still at the beginning of your book. We're still, you know, in the beginning, middle, maybe, of yeah. our books. So that was, I don't know, like the most simple way I could explain And he it was satisfied. Him. And that's, yeah. I think, to Lisa's point. You have the simplest explanation that works. And if, they, if they're satisfied, you're done. It's a beautiful image, by the way. Oh, really beautiful. Thank metaphor. you. Rabbi, um, have you had that question for for yourself, and what would your answer be? Yeah, I think that's a, a, a terrific uh, a terrific answer and a terrific metaphor, um, and especially if a kid is a reader in that way, you yeah. know, who really loves books, they can uh, connect to it in a, in, a very, in a very meaningful way. You know, I think, it's, I think it's really important to, you know, not make promises that we can't keep, uh, and it's important, uh, you know, to, uh, to not use, as was mentioned before, you know, misdirecting, you know, language uh, or confusing language for kids. And, uh, you know, the, the first piece of advice, you know, to parents who are struggling on how to break the news to their child or to talk to, talk to a child about a loved one who has, uh, who has died, you know, is, is often to be brief and to take their lead. You know, because they um, they will they will know what they want to ask in that moment, and then they'll come back a day later or a week later, and they'll they'll have more more questions. Yeah. Yeah. And kids uh, kids are different one from the one from the next, and so uh, not trying to project this is really hard to do, but not t- trying to project our own uh, emotional you know needs as we process our own loss to them. Why aren't you sadder? Whether we do that out loud as some you know do just because we're human uh, or subconsciously doing that you know why why isn't my kid sad or why aren't they crying or why aren't they as sad as I am don't they understand what's happening here um, allowing them to be themselves allowing them to process this in their own way allowing them to grieve and to mourn not to shush them if they cry and not to shush them if they laugh you know either um, but to try to involve them as, as, as best as possible both in the conversation and at a certain uh, relatively young age in, uh, if it's a Jewish uh, household, in the in the processes of of mourning, because this is how they learn. This is how they learn what we think about death. We think that it's sad, and we think there's an aspect of a person that stays with us. And how are they going to learn that unless they unless they observe it, unless they experience uh, unless they experience it? Lisa, did your children ask that question ever? Yeah, they they. Well, my son certainly did. Then that was probably. The one, you know, the time where he did ask a lot of questions because it it, it was very confusing because um, he wasn't, you know, why, why did he die? And um, I, I guess 
uh, you know, I, I was on, you know, I was honest. I, I said, I don't know, you know. And the question is, what was he? Was he sick? And no, D- did he die because he was old? Well, some, you know, yes. When you get old, there comes a point. But I don't think, you know, and and it was well, why and why and. And he all those questions. Was he sick? You know, and um, and why? And and I just was honest. You know, we don't know. We don't have all we, the we answers. Don't, we don't. You know, we don't know. And and then, well, are you? And of course, we say yes. We're all gonna die. And and we don't. You know, at some point, and we don't know when. But you know, but you'll be taken care of. Yeah, you're oh, safe. Of and course. And, and I know, think we're here reassuring them for that. I mean, they're not. That's not a literal question, are you going to die? That's an emotional question. Yeah. Am I? That's the egocentrism of a child saying, am I going to be okay? Are you going to abandon me? Right. Um, are you going to leave me out in, you know, it's like every fairy tale of all time. It's Hansel and Gretel lost in the woods with no way for home. And it's like, don't, don't leave me out here lost. Right. And so I think when you hear that question, you don't have to, that's not a, that's not a head answer. That's a heart answer. And that's sitting and holding and being and slowing down and being present. Um, I in think terms the answer of, to that, yeah, was always just, you know, not for a very, very, a very, very long time. time. Yeah. You know, where he, mommy's here, daddy's here, Nana's here, you know, every, not for... You know, so, and we have, so we have Not For A Long Time, we have Michelle's book, we also have the Billy Joel song that says, like, every song I wrote is, is, is you will always hear it playing inside you. I will always be there. There's a book called The Invisible String, which right. is, if you love somebody, you're always connected by an invisible string. You know, just finding some way to express that there, you, you know, you're not going to ever lose me or my love. Um, so... In conclusion, I'm going to ask you to talk about, you know, how you've got this through your experience and through your wisdom. Um, I just want to say that, of course, we want people to get comfortable, if you can, with that word death long before you have to use it for people you love dearly. As Rabbi said, with the bugs, with the flowers, you know, use it, show children that life cycle so that um, they have some point of reference from a very young age. And again, toddlers, and even teaching that respect for life so that they step over the ants or that they don't pick all the flowers or whatever it might be that helps them understand life cycles and everything lives and everything dies. Um, to know that you don't have to know everything, that you can just answer the questions that are on the table to follow their lead, to to try not to go into, um, you know, that to, 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 to gather, to gather as a family, to gather as a community, to gather um, um, and, and take your breaks when you need them so that you can grieve. I mean, I think there's nothing more lonely than grief. I mean, because everyone's grief is, is within themselves. So... Uh, any final thoughts you have to wrap this up with how you've got this, even though you wish you never had to get this? Rabbi, I'm going to start with you. I think it's interesting that four people sat around a, a lovely square table talking about uh, talking about talking about death to children, uh, and the term uh, the word heaven uh, hasn't uh, hasn't come up yet. And I struggle with the concept of heaven uh, because you know on the one hand you know we are to some extent, an exceedingly rational community, and there's an aspect of uh, not being able to connect to you know that idea that uh, that permeates, and it becomes one of those sort of magical thinking type of uh, expressions that can really confuse a kid. You know, well, why would 
grandpa rather be in heaven than here? You know, if heaven's a better place, then why don't we all try to go there? And so I think that's another word and term that we have to be uh, both uh, both careful about and, um, you know, understand our own children's place and, uh, you know, abilities to absorb and to understand uh, in going down uh, in going down that uh, that road. But just because that's a potentially loaded term doesn't mean we should always uh, avoid it. There is a place for uh, olam haba, the world to come, in Jewish uh, in Jewish tradition and Jewish thought. But the term that I'd like to sort of leave with is this uh, this idea of a, a neshama, right? This idea of a soul, that there is an aspect of a person that makes them who they are, uh, that there is a body that dies, and there's an eternal soul that lives on. Uh, that is, uh, you know, to me, one of the ways that Judaism helps us to distill uh, this uh, this notion, this idea, this very real reality of death, uh, in a way that says there is both a permanence to it, and it's lasting, and and it's and it's forever, and we're 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 not going to be able to see that person again, and that person does not anymore have the needs that he or she had in life, and we can't even anymore sort of tend to that person as much as we would want to, you know, if they were if they were still here. And there's also something about that person that lives on, especially when there's someone who can remember them. Uh, and so uh, every year, as Lisa just was mentioning, there's a, a yard site, an anniversary of someone's passing. When we can light a candle and we can return you know, to those memories and keep a person with us. Uh, and certainly as long as there are people who remember someone, that soul remains in this world. And there's an aspect of that soul that's eternal, even beyond memory, uh, as uh, the world continues to be created anew because of the impact of uh, you know the souls that have uh, that have uh, that have been here, you know, in life and and in and uh, and on our world. So I think Judaism can be uh, incredibly helpful. These aren't only specifically Jewish ideas. There's I think a universalist aspect to them, but certainly this notion of the eternality of the soul is is something that helps me and I think a lot of other other people to uh, deal with death in a somewhat um, somewhat constructive way. Thank you very much, <clears throat> Lisa. Um, well, along those lines, I mean, I never used neshama or soul because I don't think you can quite explain that to children this young. But I think that's for a lot. I mean, and still to this day, if you ask my kids, um, that's how we explained it. You know, when is Pop Pop gone? And we would say he's not here, but he he's here. He's always, you know, he's always right here. In our and hearts. he's always mm-hmm. right here. And I said, that was in our heads. Yeah. She's pointing. <laughs> oh, sorry. So, um, so if you, you know, when I said just because he's not here, he's always with you. You know, so if you ask my kids, where's Pop Pop? And they'll tell you he's always in our hearts. And because we talk and we look at pictures and we talk about memories, my son definitely has clear memories because sometimes he says things that I, I can't believe don't, yeah, I don't even think I have a picture of that. My daughter's memories, I'm sure, are all from pictures or, or from our, our conversations. But, you know, we do. We talk about, about him often and... Um, so that's, you know, even though they're not here, they're, I said, you know, and that's how I kind of explain it. They're, they're not, they're always with you. He'll always be with you and you're, as long as you have your memories and we have our pictures, you know, he's always in our hearts and thank you. he's always with us. Very similar um, for us. Um, every, every night when I put my kids to bed, we say the Shema. So we say the Shema and then I always say, may you always be blessed with health, happiness, and love. And then we say, um, uh, so the topic of heaven, that was, so sometimes, you know, where did they go? And, and I did say, you know, he's in, he's in heaven with God. I thought that was going to be an easy explanation. I mean, I'd like to think that's where he is, right? Um, and then he's like, Mommy, but where's God? 
And where's heaven? (laughs) Oh, God. Then I was like, um, heaven is uh, in the sky. Well, why can't we take an airplane? Why can't we go see? And I was like, oh, what did I just step in? You know? So that's the tough part. But we always do say he's in our hearts. He's in our minds. We can look at pictures. We we talk about him every single day. But um, then... I'll say, you know, uh, if he's in heaven with God, he'll say, well, what about Grandpa Oscar, my grandfather? So his great-grandfather lived to almost 95. So he'll say, oh, he's with great-grandpa Oscar, and he's with uh, Dedulia, which is my mother-in-law's father, and they're walking Benson, my (laughs) in-law's dog. So And they're all walking Benson, the dog. So somehow I'm still kind of having a hard time with the heaven thing too because I thought it would be a nice thing to say yeah. and you know and what? <laughs> as well, but every child every person everyone finds a different thing that that is going to be enough or is going to satisfy us yeah but I you know I I think that that image I'm gonna end on the the sweet and easy and magical because <laughs> That works for me. But that idea of, you know, when he describes them all walking together with a dog, I just want to say, and I like that. Mm -hmm. You know, to just hold, let them hold whatever they want to hold for now and just, and breathe that sigh of relief that I don't have to explain anything else for this moment. So thank you very, very much for this conversation and for sharing your hearts. Thanks. Thank Thank you. you. So that's the mess for today. We appreciate you listening to See Me, Hear Me, Love Me. Seeing little people learn and grow. Listening to parents taking a crazy, uncertain journey. Loving the fun and loving the mistakes. You write the rules. You write your story. We just want to be part of the conversation. But in the end, we know you got this. We'll catch you next week. Take care. Oh, 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 wait. We're growing too. So if you had a great time today, please spread the word to a friend. You can also join our conversation on Facebook. That's with Karen Deerwester. And there's great parenting resources for you at www.familytimeinc.com. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks to everyone at B'nai Torah Congregation for this lovely space. Thank you, David Dweck, for that sweet voiceover. And thanks to the front and the follow for the song listen. We are listening. Thanks, everyone. See you next week.